Before we begin this podcast, I'd like to acknowledge and pay respect to the traditional custodians of the land on which it was recorded, the land of the Kulin Nations. I'd like to pay respect to elders past, present, and emerging. We recognize and respect their continuing culture and contribution they make, and have made to the creative arts with their rich storytelling tradition. Sovereignty was never ceded, and a treaty was never signed. This always has been, and always will be, Aboriginal land. Hi, I'm Callum. I am the host of From Must Till Dawn. This is the first episode of this podcast, uh, and if you're listening, thank you so much for giving it a shot. We have a couple more episodes coming out in the following weeks. Uh, this was recorded a long time ago, um, so you'll probably hear that. Uh what Gregor talks about at the end, Muspop is now out. You can go listen to that on anywhere you listen to podcasts. Um, there is a bit of a technical difficulty about halfway through. Gregor's computer uh, crashed halfway through the recording. So that's uh, why there's a little time gap. Um, and also I'd like to use this point in time at the beginning of the podcast to talk about something very important. Monash University is planning to dissolve the Centre for Theatre and Performing Arts. Um, this is a big blow to the art community in Melbourne, as well as all the staff that will lose their jobs because of this decision. Um, the way that it is being rolled out is completely unfair to both, um, the staff involved that will lose their jobs and all future students, um, that come to Monash to, uh, take advantage of the amazing stream. Uh, that the CTP offers. I won't go into too much detail. Uh, I'll leave a link to the website that the students have created, savealctp.com. Uh, that website is great. It has a lot of information about what's happening, what our proposed uh, statement is, as well as a lot of testimonials from past, present, future students, as well as some of the leaders in the uh, theatre and arts world at the moment. Um, please, please, uh, spare some time, have a look into that, um, and help us with our cause. And with that, we'll get on to the show. Welcome to the first episode of From Must Till Dawn. Well, hello and welcome from... Oh, fuck. <laughs> Please keep that in. I just wrote that in. Yeah, okay. I guess we can keep, uh, we can keep the bad intro and show them that this is not a... Very homemade. Product. Very homemade feel. Um, hello and welcome to From Must Till Dawn, the official must movie podcast. I am Caleb Shear and uh, I will be taking you today through the wondrous 1996 film From Dusk Till Dawn and comparing it to the film of a choice... Of my guest today, uh, that guest is Gregor Campbell. Uh, hi all. Um, the film I, I decided to bring to Callum um, as his inaugural guest um, was, I think, objectively one of the best films of the 90s, uh, which is Fight Club. Um, and I'm very excited to discuss it with him today. Oh, it's going to be amazing. So, But before we get into the movies, Gregor, why don't you uh, give everyone a little bit of information about who you are, what you do in Must. Uh, I'm I'm Greer Campbell. Uh, if you don't know me at Must, you've probably never been in the prod room. Um, I, I'm the director of Must Bop uh, this year, uh, but apart from that, I've been an actor in a few things. 
uh, and I run the Shakespeare company. So I've, I've been around must for four years now. Um, so I'm, I'm well and truly the old man of must. <laughs> Incredible. Um, and at the moment you are, you're currently directing a show called fur on the forward line. Can you tell us a bit about that? Well, you know, uh, I've got this, this writer, um, who's just an absolute <laughs> pain in the ass to work with. Uh, so Callum, <laughs> Callum wrote a script, um, and it's a, the, it's, it's a must bop. So it's called fur on the forward line. What a must bop is. It's a must, uh, B grade overdubbing project. So you take a film, strip away the audio and replace the place it with a new script. Sadly, um, because of the ter- troubled times we live in, uh, that was, <laughs> we had to sidetrack from that, uh, project and we're now putting out a podcast. Um, except Callum sa- decided to start a rival podcast and, uh, invite me on his first episode. <laughs> So we'll see which 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 uh, show goes better. Uh, hopefully, uh, this one is my hope. Um, <laughs> uh, I know where my loyalty and my allegiances lie. Um, so yes, as as we said on the get go uh, from the beginning, this is a show about the movie uh, From Dusk Till Dawn. It's a film directed by Robert Rodriguez. Uh, was written by Quentin Tarantino and stars George Clooney, Quentin Tarantino, and uh, Harvey Keitel. Um, Gregor also being the guest, got to choose a film. Uh, that's a film. Sorry, Dust of Dawn is a film that Gregor watched, and uh, the film that I watched was a film that Gregor chose, which was Fight Club, uh, the nineteen ninety nine David Fincher movie starring Edward Norton, Brad Pitt, and Helena Bonham Carter. Um, we've both watched these films fairly recently. When did you watch? Uh, finish watching From Dust Till Dawn, Gregor. I finished watching From Dust Till Dawn uh, yesterday incredible and i finished watching fight club on friday night uh so that was two nights ago um so yeah greg just before we get like super into it just any first on opening thoughts on the film in terms of from dust to dawn just one of the weirdest films i've ever watched i i understand why it's a cult classic um but just there's a lot to talk about and i think I, i'll touch on it later um but i i would i would recommend watching this to anyone who's a fan of either Robert Rodriguez or Quentin Tarantino. Uh, not sure if you don't like those people's work, um, I wouldn't really recommend it to you. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, um, it's definitely a strange one, which is kind of the reason that I wanted to make a whole podcast dedicated to it. Um, and yeah, so fight club, uh, I'm sure a lot of people know about it's a pretty famous film, pretty well known. Um, Pretty, pretty famous book as well from what I was looking into. Uh, the book's very different to the movie. Um, I sadly haven't finished reading the book. I started reading at one point and um, then just started reading something else. Um, no, I did the same. I think that the lack of Brad Pitt abs really makes it harder to get through the whole book. Yeah, look, I'm going to say Brad Pitt does make the film very tolerable. Oh, so watchable. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of the movies, uh, why don't we get into our first segment, The Sum Up. Uh, the Sum Up is a segment where we've both gone away and written little summaries about the films that we've watched. Uh, so, uh, Gregor, why don't you kick us off with a little summary of um, the titular film of this podcast, uh, From Dust Till Dawn. Yeah, so uh, as the first synopsis, I, I think uh, this should give people a good understanding of, of what the movie is. So I'll, I'll make a start. By the mad geniuses behind Inglorious Bastards and Shark Boy and Lava Girl comes from dusk till dawn, 
George Clooney, having fled from the Ocean's Eleven franchise with a sick neck tattoo, is joined by a Quentin Tarantino marionette doll as they play Seth Gecko and Quentin Tarantino, respectively. <laughs> On the run from, the, from law enforcement after Tarantino broke Clooney out of prison as they flee to Mexico, quickly becomes clear that Tarantino's foot fetish and bloodlust has reached new levels and he now takes pleasure in killing hostages, while Clooney does his best to audition for MacGyver. They take a hostage former pastor, Harvey Keitel, and his son, an argument for never hiring child actors, and daughter, a woman, hostage to cover their escape and successfully cross the border into Mexico and hide out at the uh, Titty Twister. Um, having assaulted the bouncer, they make their way inside to what appears to be an Inca-themed strip club, uh, which for some reason only serves bikers and truck drivers. Uh, we meet some of the patrons, including a man with a penis gun, a discount Samuel L. Jackson, uh, Jenny, Danny Trejo, playing Danny Trejo, uh, and an exotic dancer who specializes in snake dancing. Uh, the dancer lets Tarantino drink off, his, off her foot, and the audience is painfully reminded that Tarantino wrote this role for himself. Uh, <laughs> as it turns out, it's a vampire bar. The staff attack the customers, as all hospital workers have dreamed about, and soon all that is left is Clooney, Keitel, and his family, Gun Penis Man, and Discount Samuel L. Jackson, who can punch hearts out, apparently. The dead customers return as vampires, and we discover Gun Penis Man is called Sex Machine. We don't have time to address that. After this revelation, he gets bit, but he tells no one. Clooney gives Keitel a pep talk, after which he declares himself, and I quote, a mean motherfucking servant of God. Amen, brother. Amen. <laughs> However, during Samuel L. Jackson's Vietnam monologue, Sex Machine turns into a vampire, attacking Vietnam Sam and turning him into a vampire, uh, and biting Keitel, who uses a shotgun cross to escape with Clooney and his kids into a cellar, where they make holy water guns, a pike drill, and a repeating crossbow. Using the vampire's fear of the cross, they massacre the vampires, including Sex Machine, who turns into a rat for some reason, uh, except then Keitel turns and is killed by his son. His son dies, although with his acting, I'm not entirely convinced he did die. Uh, the final vampires explode as the dawn light hits a disco ball, proving Stockholm Syndrome belongs in every movie. The daughter asks to join Clooney, which he refuses, driving off into the desert, leaving her traumatized and alone, much like the audience. And that's my <laughs> synopsis of From Dusk Till Dawn. Oh, incredible, incredible. I couldn't have said it better myself, which is uh, why I won't say it at all. In fact, I'm just going to uh, read my Fight Club summary. Um, and see what you see what you have a think about this. Um, see what you think about this, Gregor. <clears throat> so for people that don't know, Fight Club is a 1999 movie poster found only in the bedroom of 15-year-old boys, usually offset to offset the poster of a Metallica album they've never listened to and a painfully obvious sense of white, comfortably middle-class privilege. The film was directed by David Fincher and stars Edward Norton, Brad Pitt, and Helena Bonham Carter. It's famous for being the only film brave enough to ask the question, what if the guy that spouts half-baked, obnoxious social commentary was actually cool? The movie follows Norton's unnamed <laughs> The movie follows Norton's unnamed protagonist, who sometimes refers to himself as Jack, which is the only part of his identity that is actually confusing. Norton is an insomniac, so he starts going to cancer support groups to help him sleep because that works apparently. But rather than being an interesting examination on masculinity in which the protagonist comes to realize that being open with their emotions can come to benefit their life in more ways than just a decent nap, the movie remembers that it's still technically the 90s, so it's okay for men to openly beat the ever-loving crap out of one another. 
All is going well for Jack until a woman named Marla Singer, played by Helena Bonham Carter on day release from the latest Tim Burton film, starts to attend these supports groups as well. Jack is annoyed and can't sleep. And then there's a montage about society set to cool 90s techno, which is apparently so hot, so hot it blows up his apartment. Because of this, Jack moves in with Tyler Durden, a character so unlikable they needed to hire Brad Putt so his dialogue could have even a smidge of charm. The pair begin doing what normal men do when they get together. Drink, smoke, fight, make soap out of human fat, give each other chemical burns, and start an underground male-only fighting league with the intention of turning it into a domestic terrorist organization. Because if there's one thing that can defeat the emasculating, dehumanizing, oppressive force of capitalism, it's the manly, dehumanizing, oppressive force of fascism. As things begin to spiral out of control, Jack learns about Project Mayhem, which is much more organized than the name would lead on. When Jack finds out the project's main goal is to blow up 10 major banks, reverting everyone's debt back to zero, he tries to stop Tyler and his lackeys. This is hindered by the fact that apparently everybody is part of a fight club, which really brings into question the validity of Tyler's fascist regime if his men can't even follow the first two rules. Eventually, Jack and the audience work out that Tyler Durden and Jack are the same person. Wow, what a totally unexpected turn of events. Jack and Tyler fight, club, and, unable to stop Tyler's plan, Jack shoots himself in the mouth so he can at least remove the violent sociopathic voice from his life and watch the buildings explode. Also, there's a whole subplot about Marla and Tyler having sex, but, like the casting director, the film is more than happy to forget about women when convenient. Film Fight Club, at its core, is an ironic film. It's ironic that men are more than happy to move from one emasculating system to another, so long as they believe their masculinity remains intact. It's ironic that a film that is so blatantly anti-consumerist has so much merchandise, a totally unneeded graphic novel sequel, and a Starbucks cup in every scene. It's ironic that the people who idolize Tyler Durden will never be charming or charismatic enough to actually start a fight club, or even fight for that matter. It's ironic that this was every 15-year-old boy's favorite movie purely because their mums wouldn't let them watch Pulp Fiction. In summary... Fight Club is the best film that uses graphic and gratuitous violence to comment on the detrimental effects of consumerism and masculinity. If you haven't watched American Psycho, ooh, that's a as as the man who says half baked political thoughts at parties. <laughs> that hurts. That felt like a direct attack. It was a little bit of a jab. Yeah, no, mostly I at you for making me watch Fight Club for the first episode of this podcast, <laughs> which totally invalidates this podcast as being a thing. Oh yeah, definitely. We're a serious film podcast, so we're going to talk about Fight Club. <laughs> it's a serious film. It's a look. It is very serious. Um, I definitely agree. It takes itself seriously. Um, but yes, uh, <laughs> after those ridiculous summaries, I hope that everyone uh, has a clear understanding of the two films we're talking about. Um, and I think from there we're going to move on to the next segment: same shit, different shit. Uh, in this segment, we're going to discuss uh, some of the strengths and weaknesses of each of the films, and we'll do maybe do a little bit of comparison and see what happens. Uh, so, Gregor, um, from Dust Till Dawn, what did you like? What didn't you like? What would you improve? Yeah, I think um, I, I thought the interesting thing about From Dust Till Dawn is that it's, it's two movies. Um, if you beat the shit out of them, cut them up, and then sewed them together in like a backyard laboratory... Because um, there's a, the first half, which is like the, the escape from America into Mexico with Tarantino uh, and George Clooney is like a, it's a passable crime thriller. Clooney does a lot of carrying of the dialogue. Um, there's a weird thing with, with Quentin Tarantino's acting is that 
His eyes never act. He's <laughs> it's it's frankly terrifying. Um, I'm still not convinced he's not a good actor. Um, but I'm kind of worried he just wandered onto set. Uh, and they were too scared to stop him, so they just included <laughs> him in the film. Like I'm sure that like there's been a few times where like ha, ha, you need to you need to stop looking at his uh, his her feet, Quentin, Quentin, <laughs> Quentin back to earth. <laughs> it's just it's honestly just one of the weirdest acting I've ever seen because it's so genuine. Like it's so like you you get these really creepy vibes, but it's it it's not quite a character. It's just Quentin Tarantino being Quentin Tarantino. Um, that's the th- that is the thing about his acting at Willie Great. It does seem like he is someone who has never acted, but he can clearly tell that he is trying yeah. to act. Like it's not like he's he it's from a lack of trying. Like he he's definitely clearly trying to put on a performance. And he's clearly written the role for himself. Like it's very like the the foot fetish bits. Like we we all make jokes about it, but it is very clear in this film. And he he's kind of poking fun at it, um, mm. in, in his own way, um. But it, it does get a bit uncomfortable when, like, he's literally drinking champagne off a off a stripper's foot. Um, yeah, that gets it gets <laughs> to a point where you're like, okay, Quentin, it's it's self-referential, but now it's getting a bit self-masturbatory here. Yeah, <laughs> um, we might have to cut that from the, the podcast. Yeah. Um, George Clooney um, plays George Clooney. Like, I think George Clooney in every single one of his roles uh, that I've seen him in is George Clooney. Uh, like mm. even when they gave him a sick nat- neck tattoo, he's still a nice guy. He's still like a charming <laughs> dude that like, it, even like the, all the other characters in the film kind of just accept him. Uh, and are like, Oh yeah, that's, that's just George. Um, it's fascinating. Cause like, he's supposed to be like this hardened criminal, like he kills people if he has to, but like, he's always kind of like, all right, ramblers, let's get rambling yeah <laughs> it's just it's so adorable i can't take him seriously um there's some as i, I touched on in my synopsis there's um discount samuel L. jackson who i don't think they ever name um but at one point he starts monologuing about his vietnam experience ah uh, yes that character is named uh, uh i don't i don't think it's said necessary i think it's said once his name is frost, frost i'm pretty yeah. sure a vietnam vet um and it just kind of at one point he just starts monologuing about Vietnam and it's one of the weirdest things. I I felt like I was disassociating while watching it. It was, I, I remember when I first watched that part of the film and it's definitely, even to this day, I've watched it a couple times now. I, I still have no, f- any idea what that is, like what they were trying to achieve with that. I have no clue. Yeah. And then there's this sex machine who's just, who's got a penis for a, like a gun for a penis. It's just, a lot happens in the film uh, in the last half, which just make no sense. Um, but like, also it's Quentin Tarantino. Like his writing is very like, it's great. He, every, yeah. every character has, has a good cool line or two. Um, the, I'm a mean motherfucking servant of God is just objectively a great line. Um, <laughs> and it's something I'd willingly get tattooed on myself. Um, <laughs> I touched on also my side, the kids in it, are just terrible like the, the son uh is just i don't know whose favor like who owes his dad favors or something but yeah. he cannot act um at, like at some points he's supposed to be scared and he looks like he's smiling <laughs> at other points it's like he's he's swearing to jesus that he's going to kill his dad if he turns into a vampire but it just it never seems convincing it seems like a, a kid who wandered onto set and like quentin tarantino was staring at him funny so they won't let him leave <laughs> 
Um, it, it, you're definitely right. It does feel like the when making the film, they were like, okay, we've got we've got George Clooney, we've got Harvey Keitel. I guess Quinton wrote the thing, so I guess we have to let him do the thing, his role. And then, sort of with all the other characters, they were like, I guess we can just deal with it on the day. Yeah, and just never got around to casting beyond that. Like it, it's it does look like everyone on the film is having a lot of fun. Um, oh, absolutely. George Clooney got a break from being like a a heroic leading man. He got to be kind of like a bit of a dick. Um, Quinton gets to do a bit of acting, drink champagne off people's feet. Uh, Danny Trejo gets to be Danny Trejo. Um, <laughs> and it's just sick. He's, he's, he's objectively super cool. Um, yeah. but yeah, no, it's just an odd film. Um, it's, it's never, it is, it, I can understand why people would say it's a cult classic. It has all the makings of a cult classic. Mm, definitely. I definitely agree. Um, yeah, I do have to say, I, I sort of, I'd give Fight Club like all, all in all praise to a certain extent, like I think that it is a comp like it it's a competent film. It's a very it's a very good film. It works. Um, it's certainly a product of its time. Watching it, it does it, it does feel like it feels like it's aged a little bit. Yeah, um, it's not quite as like appropriate when we have like the Proud Boys, which is like literally like a, an alt right fascist group that goes out yeah. and beats up protesters. Yeah, I think we're not just watching the film now because I remember when I first watched it, I was quite, I was not quite young. I was going to say quite young. Um, I was about maybe 14 or 15 and I thought it was a great film. Um, but also looking back, I think I thought it was a good film because I'd been told it was a good film and I, it was, it was easy for me to look past all the problems that I had with it to just be like, oh no, they, they were meant to be done that way or just like ignoring them completely and be like, this is a good movie. Um, but really watching it again, it was so hard to sit through. I'm not going to lie. Like it's not, okay, look, it's not hard to sit through. It was entertaining, but I'll just be honest with you. All, every bit of dialogue that comes out of Brad Pitt's mouth whilst the fact that Brad Pitt is a very charismatic actor and I, I believe that he could make anyone look good. Um, it's just so hard not to imagine just like a 14 year old kid in high school, just being like, man, did you know that like you could make napalm if you mix like orange juice and stuff? And it's just like, Oh man, oxygen gets you high, which is why they're all happy on the planes. Wow. Society. Am I right? Yeah. It does have a, like, um, we live in a society kind of vibe, which but, I think, mm. I think that the thing is that's been done to death in the current era, but yeah. at the time it was probably like the first film to kind of comment on that. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And I, I just, I was watching again. I remember speaking with some people about it not too long afterwards. Um, Cause essentially at the end of the day, it's a, it's a satire on consumerism and also showing how like, fascism and capitalism are really only like kind of one step apart like it's very easy to get into them you just sort of have to have a charismatic leader and you have to like have a sort of intended goal um but also it is a satire on masculinity um which it's like kind of you're not meant to like tyler durden at the end of the day i think that like you're not meant to think tyler durden is a good person and you're not meant to think that what he is doing is good you're meant to be like 
as it's happening, you're meant to be like terrified that this is getting as out of hand. You meant to you meant to feel like Ed Norton's character. Yeah. Like confused and overwhelmed and like very scared and shocked and confused. But I feel like it's just been every everything's been taken the wrong way about that film, which then is kind of hilarious because I remember when I was in high school, there was a bunch of guys who started a fight club. You had that at high school. See, I had that at high school as well. We had. Did you have that at yeah, high yeah, school? Yeah, we oh. had, and I went to an all boys school, so like it was like they used to go out onto like the back corner of the oval and they just they'd ha- they'd have a fight club, and it was the weirdest shit. That's that. See, that was ter- that was so weird for me, and I just I think it's. Part of me thinks it's funny that the film has been like misconstrued that way, but I also am like that is a little bit terrifying. Um, just considering what the message of the film is sort of saying about that, and then to have it be completely misconstrued, which I don't think is necessarily on anyone who made the film. It's not their job necessarily to make the interpretation for the audience. You have to, the audience has to be in some way, responsible for that. Yeah, Tyler Durden, I think that the issue is that Brad Pitt is so damn charismatic. That's um, it. Yeah. Because, like, the, the, the like the whole point of Tyler Durden as a character is that he's supposed to, like, I think it's, um, he lives how you want to live. So you, mm. he's a bit of a male fantasy. He's, he's absolutely shredded. Um, like, objectively shredded. He's, he's gorgeous. He's, he's cool. He's hooking up with Helena Bottom Carter. Just every, like, 15-year-old boy's dream. Um, but the issue is because they you, you like him, you forgive that he's an absolute cunt. Yeah. <laughs> like, he just it does so many terrible things. Mm. Yeah, it's it's definitely, definitely, um, it's, it's yeah, it's a weird film. Because I, I remember liking it a lot. Um, and I think that the, the more times I watch it, the more I get out of it, in a sense, that, like, I definitely, the more I watch it, I definitely am like, oh, this character is not a good person. You're not meant to like this character, um, which is interesting, especially going from uh, remembering a time where I was like, this guy's cool and this movie is cool and everything that I'm seeing is cool um, to have that slowly change over time, which is interesting. And I think part of the point, um, but yeah, it, it definitely is a cultural milestone um, that I think it's taken up a place in our culture that, it may not have intended to. Yeah, I also think it's 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 such a weird look because it is kind of a time capsule film. Um, mm. It doesn't really work in 2010, like or even like in the era we currently live in. Um, it it seems like they had this moment where like, oh, debt? How terrible is that? Whereas in 2020, <laughs> it's like, oh, you got debt, man? How much? Oh, that's sick. <laughs> I got like seventy five thousand on me. Yeah. Um, it's just it's really fascinating. Um, and like, it was the first time they're like, oh, but what if men are being emasculated? And now it's kind of like, well, is that a bad thing? Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah, definitely. I definitely would have to agree. Um, did you, you think of any of the weaknesses? I've sort of talked about the strengths and the weaknesses. Did you have any, um, weaknesses of the film you want to talk about? That's not like a problem. Cause we sort of get into that in the next segment, but like some just general weaknesses. I think the, the, the weakness in, in from dust to dawn is it's pacing. Um, mm. it, it does suffer from like, at some point it's like, okay, I, I get where this is going. This is a crime. And then suddenly, okay, it's vampires. And, but then suddenly we're monologuing about Vietnam, um, <laughs> which kind of takes you out of the, the action. Um, I think that some, that characters are completely like, they're just not written, um, to be anything more than like a, a few lines of dialogue. 
uh, and a <laughs> joke. Um, I, I think there aren't too many like weaknesses in terms of filmmaking. Obviously, Robert Rodriguez and Quentin Tarantino are both very talented um, creators. Um, I think the set design was a bit tacky, but I think that is that is what Robert Rodriguez is. Like, look at Shark Boy and Love Girl. He likes that kind of style. Um, yeah. Like, it's Machete Kills. He kind of likes that kind of tacky design. Yeah, okay. Fair enough. Um, yeah, no, I definitely have to agree. I think that um, the pacing of the film is odd. And maybe I, I kind of I, I kind of like that about the film. And I think, as you were saying, it sort of adds to that cult element of it. It is like a flaw, but it's a, it's a flaw that is almost used to its strength in a in certain cases yeah. in like certain points of the film um because it just makes it such a weird film and you never know where you actually sit the entire time you're watching it which means that when it does big change from this like kind of like thriller about like you know these guys getting into mexico and it just straight up into a vampire movie you have no idea that it's it's coming because there's no preamble to it. There's nothing really that lets you know that it's going to become that. And then it just happens. You know, it just, it just, it hits, it's there and then it's over. And yeah. then you're like, what the hell did I just watch? Yeah, no, it is, it is, it, it is two films mashed into one and that is the charm of it. And that is almost the beauty of it. Um, but I think if you go in, if you didn't know that going in, um, it will take, it is a massive whiplash. <laughs> um, and you you spend a bit of time going okay what where's this going yeah um, i think some of the the character yeah I, i've talked about the kid enough i i feel like i'm really ragging on this this son but oh, well it was his first film it was introducing him yeah, i'm pretty sure he was so bad in it and i i it was like it was it, he took like even when there were vampires and like quentin tarantino was staring at some girl's foot I was mm. more out of it because that kid said like a single line and I was like, wait a second, what's happening here? <laughs> yeah. uh, well, speaking of uh, the problems, why don't we move on to our, our, our next segment, uh, Tarantino. Uh, in this segment, we get to just sort of rant about the problems we have with the film, um, some of the more bigger issues and stuff. Now, this is your chance to really go off on anything you want to about the movie. I think this this one probably applies to both the films. Uh, women, um, they exist. <laughs> um, uh, and again, I, I appreciate that this is this is a, a dual male podcast at the moment talking about yeah. this. But um, there there are no women in um, in From Dust to Dawn. There is a daughter, um, yep. but she is written as the most like cookie cutter. A, uh, character you'll ever see like won't she wears a cross um she doesn't like killing uh, i guess but then she's fine with it um yeah. that is her entire character development she has to shoot her own brother and she walks <laughs> out of it and she's like oh yeah i'll just get in get in the car with the guy that literally kidnapped my family um and like yes george clooney is objectively gorgeous but don't get in the car with him um <laughs> It just yeah, and like the only other female character is the woman that dances with snakes and pours champagne down her foot. Um, that's the only like, and she dies in like ten minutes. Um, yeah. There just are no women in From Dust to Dawn, really. Um, yeah, I think the other kind of problematic bit is obviously um, the the weird biker, um, the I don't know the biker trucker thing. 
I didn't know what that was a commentary on or whether it was, I was just really confused by the fact that it was a biker trucker bar uh, and they would kick anyone out that wasn't a biker or a trucker. So to get them in, Harvey Keitel, who drives an RV, says, I have a trucker license and these are my friends. And they let him in after they assaulted the bouncer. um, It's just, it's a weird film. Um, I think Quentin Tarantino is writing played into Quentin Tarantino a bit too much mm-hmm. um, to the point where it's like, oh, okay, Quentin, um, I understand that people make jokes about your foot fetish. So you want to laugh at it. Um, but I really don't need to watch you drink <laughs> champagne off a, a lady's foot. Uh, they, that is a scene that just makes you very uncomfortable, especially since in like the previous scene, he was staring at a girl who we know is under 21 uh, because mm. she can't drink alcohol. Uh, and it flashes to her feet. Uh, for a split second and he has like this killer eyes oh it's so creepy um yeah no but otherwise I, I, not a bad film if if you i know that a lot of people be like i, I probably can't get back that there's like literally no representation of women in it um but if you can get past that um and if you live in today's society you probably have got past that um Jesus it's Christ. it's an all right film uh, i'm very excited to hear your your fight club band uh, yeah, look, I, I do have to agree with everything, uh, you've, you've said about From Dust Till Dawn, and I, um, was definitely hoping you'd choose a film with, um, I don't know, some female representation to sort of offset it, but yeah, I no. guess that's, uh, that's just not how the, that's not how the cookie crumbles. Um, yeah, off the off the bat, um, Marla Singer's character, Hannah Bottom Carter, um, she is an interesting character, I think, I think that, She's an interesting character purely in just the stuff that I inferred, but she's not written very well, um, and she's not treated very well. Um, and I think that she that uh, she could have... I don't know. She definitely. It feels like her character was kind of just thrown in there for the sake of it. Um, and you know what? You could argue that because the, the commentary is about masculinity... Um, and men that like you're inherently going to be expecting a, a lack of female characters in the film. Just, but, um, yeah, I just find the, the only bit with that is that like, they didn't comment on like how it, the, the fact that they were raised by women is what's made them emasculated. Like there's a, yeah. there's a line in there where it's like, um, we're a, a whole generation of men raised by women. By women. Yeah. Um, and it's like, well, I, maybe I'd like to see that or like, um, <laughs> yeah. How like, has that affected you? Mm. And also I kind of touched on it in my uh, little synopsis as well, was that just this film is a commentary on masculinity and I I just found it so funny that it's, you're not meant to like what the men become in the fight club when they join the fight club. That's, I think, not maybe not necessarily fairly obvious, but once you've read into it a bit more, it's pretty obvious that that's what you're not meant to like what the men become in the film. But it also positions men going like going through testicular cancer and having the balls chopped off and like in a space where they could feel open enough to cry about their problems it's it positions them as being like another bad form of masculinity which i find so strange especially in today's day and age where i just think that like like i know that i've benefited um from like getting better at op- being open and expressing my emotions and um that's definitely helped my mental health 
Uh, and I think that there are a lot more, uh, there are a lot more people that can just benefit openly from that as a concept. And I find it so very strange that it's, that's also kind of demonized a little bit. Yeah. That it, it is, it's really interesting that like, um, the, the thing that does fix the main character isn't because like at the start, there is objectively pros to the, the cat, the, yeah. the narrator's life from beating the shit out of people. Like yeah. if you, t- if you strip away where, what fight club later becomes, the film mm. poses that it, it helps him. He gets to sleep. Like he becomes a better person yeah. by beating up other men. Um, <laughs> and I find that interest. As, I actually thought that was an interesting commentary on male relations. Um, when I first read, read it, now I, I kind of think of it more as, okay, it, it's kind of cool to beat up Jared Leto, um, which is just well, like a nineties dream. You just get yeah. to beat the shit out of Jared Leto for like a good <laughs> five minutes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think it, it, it is, it is interesting that it does pose men like that. Mm. Yeah. I, I, I'd be interested to, um, be interested to sort of know a little bit more about, um, the decision-making behind that as a choice, like early, maybe not necessarily with the film people, but the, um, uh, I think it's like Chuck, I can't remember his last name. Um, the guy who actually wrote the book of fight club, um, because the book is is um is apparently quite different um and uh is i think goes in is a lot more uh goes into the themes a lot more of like masculinity and consumerism mm. and stuff and tackles them a little bit more um gracefully i think the term is um but yeah i don't i don't know i just i feel like that this yeah it's just it's a film that has a lot of problems also also kind of touched on it already like the dialogue, the dialogue, um, the writing is just so, so angsty. And I know why I loved it when I was 14 and 15, because I was so angsty when I was 14 oh, and 15. Yeah. It reads but it is like a diary you, you would have written at 15. Yeah, like it is essentially, it's Catcher in the Rye with more fights. That's pretty much what it is. Like that's kind of what the whole thing is. Um, and I think that's quite funny i think it is it's quite hilarious to look at that and hear that and be like come on dude like seriously (laughs) great um but yeah it was it's um definitely an interesting definitely an interesting watch um has a lot of problems but you know all in all still a still an all right film still a pretty all right film i'd give it and uh we're back very sorry about that uh gregor's computer decided to um to to die because uh we were just ranting too hard on its favorite movies i was spitting um, straight fire into this mic and it just couldn't handle it anymore i mean honestly it was just it was it was you know dead on site man dead on site um but i think i think that's probably a good place to wrap up because i'm pretty sure we could rant about both of these films all day every day if, as long as we wanted uh so moving on to the next seg- segment uh bite club uh bite club which very strange that I made this part and that you chose Fight Club. So it's just so it could uh, be inaugural. Inaugural, I guess, you know what? Maiden 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 journey. Um yeah, so Bite Club, we just talk about the snacks we ate while we were watching the films, maybe talk about how they changed our viewing experience. So uh Gregor, were you eating anything or drinking anything well, during your watching? I, because I I'm the first guest and I thought I need to set the bar at a certain level. I decided to alter my consciousness. Um, while oh, yeah. watching from dust to dawn so i downed a pre-workout uh during the last 30 minutes of the film um so just during the climax and i can tell you 
I'm a mean motherfucking servant of God has never hit harder. My heart was going at like 100 miles an hour and I was pumping it. I was like, let's go. I was ready to kill some vampires with Kaitel. I've never been so hyped in my life. Um, then the ending was really anticlimactic. Um, so I'm sitting there like my heart's going really quickly. I'm like, okay, I got to go for a run after this. I got to work this out. And then George Clooney just like drives off into the desert and alone. Um, yeah. It was really anticlimactic, and I was like, I'm, I'm really pumped up, and it seems for no reason. Um, so that was kind of disappointing. I would, wouldn't recommend uh, doing it in the last 30 minutes. Uh, do it <laughs> halfway through the film, just as they enter the titty bar. Um, right. Yeah, perfect time. <laughs> amazing, amazing. So um, as for me watching Fight Club, uh, I was I was pretty sure I was just I was eating just some like uh, Audi home brand chocolate, um, capitalist shill, which, you know, really made it really hit home, you know, uh, all that, all the, all the messages and stuff. It really, it really cut deep. And I, I did feel shame. I did. Honestly, I felt shame that I'd, um, I'd done, I'd done Brad Pitt and, uh, most importantly myself, I'd done myself, um, done myself wrong. So, um, I think that definitely did shape the way that I viewed the film. Um, but, I think that it, what was positive about it was that I did have something something sweet to eat. I do think sweetness makes me happy, um, and 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 there is a lot of the film is a um, not a very ha- particularly happy movie no. for the most part. So it was nice to get a couple of couple endorphins going, um, you know, while watching watching a pretty pretty sad film. Yeah. Not sad, but you know, bleak. Bleak's the term. Bleak film. Very bleak film. All right, so now we get to my the segment that I've never done, but is now my favorite segment, uh, the title twister. Uh, so, Gregor, uh, I'm assuming you've you've seen Fight Club because yep. you did recommend it to me. So I'm also a white man in his twenties. Of course, I've seen Fight Club. <laughs> Fight Club. <laughs> that is very true. So, in in title twister, we're just going to talk about. Uh, like in Till Dawn, it starts from a as a thriller that just vampires appear in for no real reason, and that's how the film ends. Um, we're going to talk about where in Fight Club we think the inclusion of vampires would be most effective. Because um, I'll be honest with you, I think it's shot like a vamp. It, it's a very it's got that kind of nineties early two thousand vampire movie aesthetic. Going I also think that I don't think I think the vampires are already in there. It's the capitalist system, man. They're the, oh, they're the real bloodsuckers. They're just draining <laughs> you of your of your masculinity and your lifeblood, bro. Um, no, I, I think you could add in, if you wanted to like really lean into like the fascist messaging, if you mm. had the global elite actually be vampires um, and Fight Club rises up against the vampires, I think you could, like, that would work. I think that's that where I'd have it in. Like, they find out that their boss is a vampire. It's like, oh no, it's time to set up Project Van Helsing. <laughs> like Brad Pitt's got like a cool hat on and he's like firing crossbow bolts. <laughs> well, I also, I actually, it also could, I reckon it would also work pretty effectively if it was the reverse. If we found out that uh, Tyler Durden was a, was a vampire and Project Mayhem was a way of increasing the vampire population. Yeah, I could see that. I could see that. That could also work. Maybe it would lose, I think, a little bit of the uh, political 
political angle, but uh, and the social commentary. That might but not I definitely necessarily think... be for the detriment of the film. <laughs> no, I definitely think that it would be a much more interesting film if um, it turned out Tyler Durden was uh, Edward Norton the whole time, and also Edward Norton was a vampire the whole time. <laughs> no, 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 that Edward would be Norton's an interesting not a vampire. Twist. Just Tyler Durden is a vampire. Just Tyler... <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, no, that actually that one works. So it's just a dude who thinks he's a vampire for like. <laughs> A good half of the film. <laughs> and he's somehow convinced everyone else that they're also vampires. Vampires. Oh, that would be great. I, I'd actually, I'd, I'd much enjoy that film. That'd the be signs great. Were there. Did you ever see Tyler Durden's reflection? <laughs> or him eating garlic? <laughs> I love that. Just the, the film, the, the scene in the hotel room where he's just like, why does everyone think I'm you? Also, why does everyone think I'm a vampire? <laughs> <laughs> because you are. <laughs> Say it. Say it. Say it. It's just Twilight. We're just doing it's just Twilight. Twilight. It's just Twilight. <laughs> oh, that's incredible. Oh, that would be oh. that would that would objectively be a better film. I I genuinely do believe that would be a much better film <laughs> if we made Tyler Durden was a vampire. <laughs> well, no, yeah, Tyler Durden is a is a vampire. Edward Norton is just a regular dude who got dude. real bored one night. <laughs> <laughs> oh my lord it's like if you're oh. gonna have a fantasy dude like i understand why it would be brad pitt like everyone wants to be yeah. him, but why not also make him a vampire vampire <laughs> turns out Edward norton's more of a he's he's more into werewolves and it's actually like <laughs> it's a big shot oh jesus Ah. <laughs> uh. Yeah, no, I definitely, I think, I think that would be, I think, so I think we're agreed on that. Yeah. That's the best place for vampires. Bite Club. Like it would be called just Bite, Bite Club. Club. Bite Club. Yeah. I, yeah. There's no real way to, there's no, nothing better than Bite Club. But can I, you I imagine people agree. like still misinterpreting it? Like, actually, <laughs> he may be a vampire, but that doesn't make him a monster. Monster. His you ideas know? are quite interesting. <laughs> yes, he does bathe in blood of innocence, but he wants to lift men to above their regular stations. <laughs> Listen to my Jordan B. Peterson interview. It's fascinating. Oh, <laughs> uh, no, yeah, that would be, um, it'd be a lot harder for the edgy film students to really, um, to praise the movie. That. Were they mis- <laughs> well, something I actually wanted to touch on, I think, about From Dust of Tom that I found fascinating was that normally your, your vampires are like your fear of immigration. Um, that's, yeah. that's where Dracula is. He's the fear that, like, the handsome Eastern European man is coming to steal your women and buy yeah. up all your townhouses. Uh, yet in de- till dusk till dawn, they're hospo workers. Um, yeah. And at, at, at a strip joint, like they you are immortal beings. And your, your first decision on work is let's set up a titty bar, bro. Like that's just not how it works. And you know, and rather than and rather than I don't know, expand the clientele so we can get access to lots only of blood. Let's limit it only. <laughs> oh, wait, it, bikers and truckers. Like, and like oh. those are the only guys we're gonna drink from. Bikers and truckers. <laughs> Objectively, probably some of the dirtiest people. <laughs> it just like these are problems I have with the the lore of the film. Oh. Well, cause, well, maybe, maybe, cause you know how there's, um, especially in like America and stuff, and also here in Australia as well, um, there's a lot of like ice in the trucking, trucking community and biking <laughs> so community. The vampires are addicted to ice, Dicked- so they get maybe, it through them. Maybe they are. Maybe the vampires are addicted to biking. Maybe, maybe they didn't intend to it, but they're in the middle of nowhere. So really, at the end of the day, the first couple of clients they're going to get are mostly bikers and truckers. Yeah, and, and so then you've they got had a taste to- for it. 
So we got a taste you for it. You just want a bit they're of a like, shard. You know, <laughs> one day, you know, an ex-priest walked in and they, they killed him. They were just like, it's just not the same. I'm just not getting that same rush. Bro, my gums aren't feeling right. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but like, yeah, no, again, like fat, and also in from Dust to Dawn, this might be quote vampires have very soft bodies. So, like, normally in like most films, like vampires are like super strong. In this one, they, they can jump real far, uh, but their body are like their bodies are like tissue. So, like, you can punch their hearts out and like rip their heads off relatively easy. Yeah. Um, which means they're basically just zombies. Like, they're. Yeah. They are What's just really zombies. Inter- <laughs> What's really interesting about this film, and I think it actually, it's why that's such a pivotal point in the movie, is because Quentin Tarantino, when he was writing the script, so, it was something like the the effects company that, um, he, he made a deal with the effects company or something that made the effects for that and also the effects for Reservoir Dogs in the ear scene. Um, so basically the film was in a, in like, was partly also this massive advertisement for this very specific movie uh, practical effects company. Um, And I think that's why the bodies of the vampires are just happen to be super soft is so that they could easily be like, look, look how good this effects company is. We can punch through this guy, rip out his heart, you know, tear off heads and stuff and make it look real. Capitalism, man. Capitalism. And this Tyler wouldn't have stood for this. Tyler wouldn't have stood for this. Not Vampire Tyler. Tyler. Vampire Tyler, bit on the fence, but, you know. Imagine if he's in a fight club and, like, the first fight he gets into, his head just gets punched off. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, shit, man. Oh, fuck. First rule of fight club, no touching me. (laughs) My skin is very soft. Oh, all right. I think that, I think we've, uh, that's enough on uh, Vampire Tyler dirted and soft bodies. Um... And I think we get to our final segment, uh, Across the Border. Now, in this segment, we have to both come to an agreement as to which of the two films is better. But, uh, Gregor, you will be arguing uh, for From Dusk Till Dawn, and I'll be arguing on the side of Fight Club. Uh, so, uh, opening arguments, would you like to take us away, Gregor? They often say a judge of a, of a film's character is, uh, is, its, is its, its lines, its, its writing. Um, and I think that the absence of a mean motherfucking servant of God from Fight Club uh, really means it doesn't stand a chance in this ring. Um, it may be the Fight Club, but it is definitely going down in round one. Um, mm. Harvey Keitel absolutely knocks it out of the park as a, a preacher uh, who just wants to do right by his kids and just kill some vampires. Uh, I'd also like to say that um, unlike Fight Club, uh, the the people in uh, Quentin Tarantino in... Uh, from Dust of Dawn is objectively clearly a monster. Uh, I think it would be you know, very, very. It's very hard to find people who would defend his character, um, and if you do, you should run very quickly. Um, <laughs> George Clooney, while a bad guy, uh, is just kind of cool. He doesn't do anything that bad <laughs> in the film. Um, you never see him really do much that would hurt anyone. Um, he's kind of just a nice guy, and he says the line "Ramblers, let's get rambling," which is just adorable. Um, I think the absence of, uh, vampires, uh, from Fight Club, as we've previously discussed, really, uh, means it can't hold a candle to this masterpiece uh, of cinematic history. 
that's you make some very very good points. Um, I guess I'll I'll begin my counter argument. Um, look, at the end of the day, I think that Fight Club is the most succinct uh, white boys journal ever put to film. Um, I think that it um, clearly it, it has a lot going for it. It's trying to say a lot. Um, and I think so long as you don't get, you don't get caught up in the, the charm and charisma of Brad Pitt, you can, uh, definitely see that. I, I think that it, it, it fairly, fairly competently achieves everything that it's trying to do. Um, I think that Ed Norton, uh, is a great actor. Um, he doesn't really particularly show it in this film, but I just think he's a good actor all around. It should be touched on. um and i definitely think that um you know i I think that it was all around i think it's a it's a good it's a good movie and that everyone should give it a second watch if not for the fact to laugh at how much people loved this movie and how how often it is glorified because i think very often you we watch films that are very heavily glorified in our pop culture and you watch them and sometimes they're not as good as the expectation but you can see why it it's like still glorified and still holds that regard um i think fight club for the most part doesn't really live up to that i think once you know the twist um there's really no point of watching it again which makes it even more funny to watch it on multiple viewings purely just to laugh at how ridiculous some of the some of the lines are and just how angsty it truly is see that's um, why i think that for dust till dawn is the better film because even knowing the twist that it's going to turn into a vampire movie it's still just as good watching it a second time uh you can oh, you can see it coming and be like oh they're going to turn into vampires now and it's still just glorious in in every way <laughs> knowing that they turn into vampires does not ruin the experience for you no, definitely not. And I think, um, I think that is why this week, Gregor, I have to, I have to, con- I have to concede the victory to you. I think From Dust Till Dawn is the objectively better movie. I'm, is that what we're coming to? Yeah, we're going to get a lot of ads for this one, but I think, I think From <laughs> Dust Till Dawn is, um, I wouldn't say the the less problematic film, um, but it is 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 a more enjoyable film, um, definitely, mm. definitely, definitely. Ah. Well, thank you, Gregor, for being on the first episode of From Must to Dawn. It is a pleasure. Uh, do you have uh, before we go? Do you have anything you want to plug? Uh, yeah, I plug um, um, Mustbop. So uh, Mustbop is a is a show written by a fi- fairly funny writer, uh, directed by me, <laughs> um, with assistance from uh, Tinan, who was in the room at the time. Um, it's a hilarious six part podcast about the consequences of animals in sport. Uh, following on from the famous Airbud line, uh, there's nothing in the rule book that says a dog can't play. Um, I think you should all give it a give it a watch, uh, give it a listen. Uh, yeah, you won't be watching much. Um, yeah, when it comes out soon. Amazing. And um, by the time this episode gets up, uh, Fur on the Forward Line should be either uh, up already, the first few episodes, or um, be coming up soon. So uh, check out the Facebook for that but um yeah until then thank you so much gregor for being on my pleasure um and i hope you have a wonderful day uh and remember everybody uh ramblers let's Let's get get rambling rambling. (laughs) i'll see you in three minutes for our see you in three minutes